0: just go to
1: cards.com. It's Magical. Hi. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the fence with a PH. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everyone, to Pinsider Radio. My name is Keith. I'll be your host until 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, We have a very special program for you. At 8.15, we'll visit with AFC East Bros. writer Kyle Smith. Uh, The twist there is that Kyle is very much a Jets fan, which might be a first for this program. I don't know that I've ever featured uh, guests from vermin franchises like the Jets and Patriots before, but we're going to do that tonight. And speaking of the Patriots... At 9, we'll visit with Alex Shane, who writes for SB Nation's Pat's Pulpit.
2: <clears throat>
1: I had to promise Kevin I wouldn't make any jokes about deflated balls during this program. Obviously, we're too classy here to make lowbrow jokes, so we'll out- welcome Alex to the show. Uh, he seems like a really nice guy. Had an opportunity to chat with him a bit this week. As always, our phone lines are open and waiting for you, loyal doll fans you want to get on the air and talk about whatever's on your mind, you can give us a call here in the studio at 347-326-9461. Both of our regular contributors, Max and Lewis, will call in at some point tonight, I think. Uh, The good news is I'd like to welcome back to my show uh, my very, very good friend, Duke. It's been so long, my friend. It's been a while. Uh, I have to say I get a lot of tweets asking about you, uh, asking where you've been. <clears throat> it's like people thought you were taken out back behind the SB Nation warehouse and shot. Uh, this is proof of life, everyone. Duke's here. He's alive. Yeah, don't okay. call it a comeback. <clears throat> it's not a comeback. Uh, we're still looking to get an intro for this show. I got to say, I started um, appearing on Ron Canis on Squish the Fish podcast, and he's just got this great intro that, I mean, it it almost sounds like a kiss concert where it's just like pyro going off and like, you know, huge voices. It's pretty cool. And so I'm jealous. And now like when this, this show opens, it's cool to have Ryan Tannehill kinda of kick us off. But at the same time just like womp womp. You're looking for something else. So for a while there I was thinking about being a smart ass and getting like Casey and Jojo like all my life is is our intro just to really upset people. <clears throat> but I'm not going to do that. Uh instead. I'm working on getting something that should be a pretty decent intro if I can if I can put it together. It's kind of ambitious, but we'll see. Uh what's not ambitious today, Dolphins signed Daniel Thomas. Uh, third time is the charm, I reckon. So, uh, Duke, I mean I you have to assume this is a training camp body. I saw a couple of people say that on Twitter. Uh, it's not like you go into a season and think, like, I'm going to slot Daniel Thomas as my number one running back. But what did you think when that news came through?
3: Um, I mean, that's kind of what I thought. I, I, didn't, I didn't get too upset about it. Because I, I'm not thinking this is like – they signed Isaiah Pede right before him. So, to me, it was just kind of like, yeah, they didn't get C.J. Anderson. <clears throat> we don't know if Miller wanted to be back or not. They kick the tires on Aaron Foster a little bit, talk to some other guys. So this is just kind of like, yeah, we're just bringing in guys right now. I don't think this will uh, prevent them from drafting a guy. Um, I mean, if they want Ezekiel Elliott and he's there at 13, I think they would take him. Or, you know, that's who they want. I don't think either of the guys they signed today will mean anything in the long run. Now, <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, I think Daniel Thomas – was signed by the Bears last year, um, or is, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before last. So if it was last year, then Gay's got a look at him, so he kind of knows what he brings to the table. And I think, he, I think Daniel Thomas is a little bit of an underrated pass catching back. Um, I don't mean that he's great by any means, um, but I think that was a, a part of his game that just got overlooked by fans because he was not a good running back overall. And so I think that would be, if he does stick with the team, I think that's where Gase would use him because, um, I mean, remember it was it was Daniel Thomas that juked, uh, that juked uh, the Darrell Revis onto to IR, um, and he just <laughs> always seemed to be a guy that can make those plays in the passing game. And I don't understand why, because you think he's a big back, but he always kind of ran like a slow but shifty back. And I, I don't know. I just always kind of when he when he got the ball, my little swing pass or something. He was somewhat kind of dangerous. So you know, I think he will present some value there if he decides to keep him. But again, I, I think it's a long shot that they keep him. I think Damian Williams could provide everything that Daniel Thomas provides. So you know, I, I think I think right now it's Ajayi is the lead back. It is a rookie as the. Uh, as the Robin to a Jay Batman. Damian Williams is the third guy and they're all everybody else is shooting for that third spot.
1: I couldn't agree more. Are we still on the Jack Conklin bandwagon at thirteen? I know I know we started it and uh, I I see no reason to get off it. I understand that there's uh some good corners that could be available. People view guys like Eli Apple and William Jackson III is reaches at number 13. But if you're making the pick at 13 right now, and just, I mean, assume that the board has fallen pretty much people uh, expect it uh, to fall. Uh, where are you going with that selection?
3: I mean, there are a lot of picks that I would not be disappointed with. Um, Hargrave. I've not really got to watch any tape on a lot of other people. My computer, it, it failed at one point and the screen was shattered into million pieces. So I had to uh, wait until I got it fixed. So I'm just now getting back into kind of washing some tape. But one guy I do like was Jack Conklin, and I think he's a guy that right now, I mean, you think about it. They brought in Bushrod. They hope he can start at guard. He's a backup tackle if one of the other guys goes down. We can't keep our offensive line healthy. I think it was Armando tweeted or posted something about this earlier in the week is that The offensive line pretty much is when healthy, when we've got all five starting guys, that, you know, if if Bushrod's that guy, then we have a decent starting. It's when they have to go to backups, when you've got Jason Fox coming in. Uh, You know, that's that's problem. So Jack Conklin presents a long-term option at the specifically left tackle position. You could play him at guard. You could start him and let Albert move to guard or do what else. Else he wants to do, but you know, something that they've got to start thinking. You know, if, if they're not thinking we can compete and win it all this year, then what are you going to do with life after Albert? So, yeah, I mean, I, I would be absolutely okay with a Conklin pick. You know, I've read a lot of stuff saying he's not as athletic as some guys, he was struggling pass protection, but from what I've watched, I think he's pretty good. And you put him over there and let him get out in the running game, and you know, I, I would much prefer. Second and four, second and five, as opposed to second and nine, like we've been used to seeing.
1: Right, a couple things I want to bring up, uh, and then we'll go to the phones real quick. And then we've got our first caller in about, mm, I think it's like seven minutes. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. I typically take questions for the show uh, through Twitter. You can follow me at, at Keith, Keef, K E E F, Dolphin, D O L F A N. Uh, if you tweet me, uh, we'll try to get your questions on the show as well. We'll go to the phones real quick. We'll go to Orlando. I think there's an old friend of the, the show, Dolphin Fan for Life. Chris, what's going yeah. on? Uh,
2: Nothing much. Um, well, pretty much I'm a little missed at the rankings from ESPN and whatnot. You know, we're ranked in the 20s. Of course, the Patriots – their their top guy, even though they traded Chandler Jones and really signed they really kind of did what we did this off season signing a bunch of you know veterans for low income housing but <laughs> you know they they pretty much just ranked us in the twenties and yet. The Jets don't have a starting quarterback. They're playing Ring Around the Rosie with, you know, um, Fitzpatrick. The Bills, no one knows who's going to be their starting quarterback because the guy that they did have starting who has been successful, he's pretty much, he wants a pay raise. So, I mean, yet Because, and on top of that, the Mo Wilkerson deal with the Jets, they still have that to get resolved, yet they're ranked in the teams. And I just don't see why. Well, it's because ESPN hates the Dolphins.
1: I mean, of course we're going to be low on that list. I mean, we could have had, uh, in their mind, an incredible – free agency period we could have retained all of our free agents and by retain I mean overpay most of them outside of probably Lamar Miller and they still would have us down there I mean nothing that this team does is going to qualify itself as um, valid or you know uh, well put together in, in ESPN's eyes so I pretty much gave up on ESPN when the guys they had judging free agency, I saw one of them was Lewis Riddick. That guy is a moron. Um, and then uh, who's he at field Yates and field Yates that Olivier Vernon is a wall against the run. And we were pretty much idiots for walking away from, from him when we all know that uh, field Yates is not, or field Yates uh, Olivier Vernon is not a wall against the run far from it. So uh, I'm not a fan of uh Lewis Riddick. Uh, Louis Riddick takes so many pot shots at the Dolphins that it, it's just completely over the top. And I'm wasn't he a part of that 19, 2011 Eagles dream team when they brought in guys like Asamua and all of them? I'm fairly certain he was with the Eagles front office at that point. So uh, kind of the pot calling the kettle black if he's going to sit there and tear us down in terms of what the Dolphins are doing in free agency. So I don't really care what the, what, uh, the clowns at ESPN have to say. And they are clowns. Make no mistake. Um, I think that's why so many people have uh, either been shepherded over or have just gone willingly to NFL Network and NFL.com. And, I mean, they have their issues as well. I thought they really jumped the shark during the 2014 draft when they kept billing up every pick. Is, is this where Johnny Manziel goes? I thought that was pretty weak. And it's, it's ever since then – I mean, I, I like NFL Network – it is certainly the lesser of two evils if you're if you're putting them in the same league as ESPN, but <laughs> it's just it, I have zero interest in what those guys have to say. I mean, yeah, I'll re, I'll read the Todd McShay mock draft, I'll read the the Mel Kiper mock draft, uh, and that's pretty much it. Like sometimes if Scouts Inc. like the stuff they put out, I'll read that. Uh, I'm always curious to see where their rankings are, and they don't put out their rankings until I think it's like late winter now or like even close to early spring, like maybe a little bit before the combine. So uh, they used to put the scout scout think rankings out probably like mid to late August, like right before the college season starts. And now I don't understand why they, they withhold it for the entire season and then some, because I always thought that was a pretty cool way to catch up on uh, some prospects prior to the actual season. And then you could monitor those guys. So I mean I don't care, those and it's it's kind of turned into a, a a show over at NFL Network too where they have Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks and they always have these mock drafts and I feel like they're just trolling fans. I mean not, I mean Daniel Jeremiah obviously knows what he's talking about. Uh, I think Bucky Brooks is a smart guy, but when they put it out there, they're just looking to drive viewers. You know they're they're looking to to drive traffic on the websites so on and so forth, which is the same. Uh, same strategy that espn has in place i mean that's what they're looking for they don't care what you think they're just they care that you're reading it and you're on their site reading it so it is what it is but i just i don't care what espn has to say i'm almost to the point where i don't really care what nfl network nfl.com has to say uh, i i care about what a lot of dolphins fans have to say it and um, even they go just absolutely nuts over things. Like I saw a lot of people flipping out over Daniel Thomas and I mean, Duke just made a pretty strong case for why that he and Isaiah Peter just, you know, they're camp bodies. I mean, they're guys on the roster right now. They're in there. You take them to camp, you see what happens, but it's not like you slot those guys in and think these guys are absolutely going to play in front of Jaja this season. There's no way you look at it like that. Um, I just want to go ahead and put out there, we got a, I think about a minute before we're we're joined by our first guest. So um we'll if you want to go ahead and call in and uh gently heckle Jets uh Jets fan. I'm not <laughs> I'm not opposed to that. As long as you guys are, are nice about it. Kyle's a really nice guy. I've actually made friends with him through that unsquish the Fish podcast that um I've appeared on a couple of times. He's done the same and we got talking through there and he's uh even though he's a jazz fan, he's a really, really nice guy. So it's good to know that um, there are a lot of writers and uh, analysts out there who, even though they might cover teams that are uh, nothing but pure evil, it's, it's cool that you I got promise,
2: some. I promise I will not. Ask, I promise I will not ask him which Miami coach they're going to take next.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's nice of you. So he'll be in in a second. So, um, up until that point, uh, as I mentioned, uh, we'll still probably take some calls during the show. The phones are always open. It's just a matter of, of how many people we can fit in. So if you want, you do want to go ahead and give us a call, it is three, four, seven, three, two, six, nine, four, six, one. Uh, while we're waiting for our caller, um, Chris Dolphin fan for life. Um, so, you were a Jalon Smith guy for a long time there. And I mean, we've seen mm-hmm. now that they've traded back, I don't think we've talked about that too much. Uh, who would you take at 13 right now? Given, given what we know about the prospects uh, in play likely at that spot.
2: Mm-hmm. Can I cheat and say trade back still? Yeah, if do you I want. have to pick at 13? No, I really, I, think, I really Go want ahead. to trade back. Um, I, I've developed a few man crushes, and yeah, I wrote a, wrote a piece before, and I said I would still take Jalen Smith at 13, even with him having to sit down. Told said a lot of fans would be mad at me, but he's just that special. Where if he comes back and you take him at 13, he's gonna pretty much take a bullet for you, no matter what. But um, watching some tape. I've really thought about trading back and going with Burns. I really liked what he had to say with his interview at the Pro Day, and Miami walked away pretty much, even though it was raining, fairly happy with both Burns and their their safety. So, And he pretty much said, I'm going to do whatever the team that drafts me, asks me to do. You want me to hold the ball during kicks? I'll do it. You want me to do this? I'll do it. Ran a four-four forty, and he's just—he's my guy right now. But I know thirteen's too high.
1: Yeah, so. it's going to be interesting to to see when that guy comes into the play. I actually go to the phones uh, one more time, um, and uh, I'm fairly certain that when we go to the phones here, we're going to Southern California. Uh, Max, is that you? Yes, it is. Uh, so you yep, have Raglan fe- you have raglan fever.
4: Um, I do have Raglan fever. Yeah, I do have rag- I do have Reggie Raglan fever.
2: <laughs> I think you
4: know when you have when you're I'm case I'm case zero by the way because I, I stirred Dolphins Twitter up about it the other day. But right, um, I saw that. If you if you look at what the Dolphins are doing. They're trying to acquire players that they can build a defense around regardless of scheme and regardless of what happens going forward. You know, that's one of the reasons you don't sign a big money free agent this offseason because you don't know what defense you're going to be running next year. So it's, it's a very confusing time, but you have to look at the constants. And the constants are guys like Reggie Ragland or Vernon Hargreaves. You know, a corner is a corner. Vernon Hargreaves can play man and zone, and Reggie Ragland is an inside linebacker. You know, it's, it's a position that the Dolphins lack, lack, in, lack any serious personnel at for the last few years. I mean, Janelle Ellerby is a joke. Kelvin Shepard was beyond a joke. I mean, he put up some stats that are pretty questionable. I mean, I think we all watch the games and can agree he didn't look like a 100-tackle player or whatever the number ended up being, you know, 90s. But it's – The Dolphins haven't had a serious presence in the middle of the field since they had a player like Zach Thomas. I'm not saying Reggie Ragland's going to be Zach Thomas. They couldn't be more different as players, but it's... Teams were once afraid to run against the Miami Dolphins, and because of players like Zach Thomas and Jason Taylor, and then later Paul Solii and Randy Starks and Carlos Dansby, these guys who clog the middle. You know, I'm tired of being in third and three, and just, like, turning around because you know the team's going to convert because we don't have any presence in the middle of the field. You know, all they have to do is run away from Sue.
1: Yeah.
4: They just have to run against this side. And um, for the caller who I caught the tail end of your Jalen Smith discussion, mm-hmm. and I, I, can't, I can't disagree any more because he With will wh- be there in the second part? round. Oh, yeah, with with, the with Smith. drafting Jalen Smith in the first okay. round. Jalen Smith will be there in the second. He will be there in the third. Jalen Smith will be available. It's like if you were buying a Toyota and you said you're going to pay $300,000 for it just because you really like the car.
5: There's no point in
4: drafting him that high at all. Artie Burns' stock is rising, but he's not William Jackson. He's a great right. corner. And if a team with a a strong philosophy of drafting and developing their corners, you know, a team like the Bengals, who just take a lot of corners, wants to take them late in the first round, then go for it. You know, Artie Burns, I've watched a little bit of his tape, but not much, and he's a really solid player. I like him, yeah. Right, yeah, I like him. I don't like him 13th overall.
1: No, I don't think that would be
4: If we were picking in the mid-20s, then sure, sure, Artie Burns is fine. But oh. I can tell you that William Jackson's stock is rising.
1: Oh, and for I sure. And I
4: can tell you, based on people I've talked to, by the time we get to late April, 13th overall might not be such a silly spot to take him.
1: I don't think it will be. I think <laughs> that he, he's really good. Uh, I've got a, got a couple calls coming in, um, but I'll ask you one question, and then I'll, I'll get to the next call, and it's this. Yeah. Would you take Eli Apple or William Jackson? Because both guys are experiencing that sort of uh, that riding really tide with their draft stock right now. And I mean, both of them present That's... different skill sets. So I mean, which guy you right,
4: like? Right. Yeah. The one thing is this: I think when you're looking at a corner who you can build around at the number one position, I think when you look at what the New York Jets had for a few years, it's actually a pretty good template. They had a really technically sound corner in Darrell Rivas. Not just technically sound, obviously. Darrell Rivas was the best corner in football for many years. But they paired him with one of those longer corners who might have a tendency to get burned a little bit more, but he's a solid tackler. I think William Jackson's ball skills are what really sell me on him. I think William Jackson, he has really good hands for a defensive back. He knows how to play to the football despite a size issue. You know, he might not be he might not be an outstanding tackler. You know, he's not the kind of guy who's gonna be busting up screens. But he's the kind of player that you want in terms of being able to build a secondary around. You know, the Dolphins have Rashad Jones, but Rashad Jones only has a couple years left on his contract and the safety market is so wacky, you never know if you're gonna be able to re sign a guy like that. So and I think Eli Apple. By the way, I would. I think the upside is lower. I would agree. Think it's I a with little that. bit lower in terms. Of, yeah, it's like if we're going to take a risk because, let's be real, cornerback is outside of maybe quarterback, the hardest position to scout.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Because there's so many factors that go into being a good defensive back. It's so scheme dependent that it's it's, it's such a hard position to draft, and that's one of the reasons I'm in favor of Ragland. Miami can't take a risk. If they take no. a risk and whiff, then they're, then they're just set back. I mean, they're set back even more than you would think. They need to go with a guy who's going to contribute. And for me, Reggie Ragland is that guy. And Vernon Hargreaves is that guy. And I'm pretty convinced that William Jackson is that guy. I'm I about 50-50 um, on whether Eli Apple is that guy.
1: I think That's William Jackson is that guy. Yeah, I like Jack Conklin. Jack Conklin's going to be my favorite guy, likely. Let's um, let's go to the phones. Let's go to uh, Northern New Jersey, I believe. Uh, you're on the air.
5: Hey guys, this is none other than Kyle. Sorry, I tried to connect a couple minutes earlier, but um, I was trying to do it directly through um, my internet through Blog Talk Radio, but it just wasn't connected, So I just called in through the phone.
1: Then I'm sorry, we can't do this interview. So. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm absolutely kidding. Uh, so I'll go ahead and uh, get this get this thing started. Everyone, this is Kyle Smith. He's with – is it, it's AFC East Bros, right?
5: That's correct, because it's my brother and myself. He's a big Buffalo Bills fan. I'm a big New York Jets fan. We always would talk and debate, go back and forth, talking about the AFC East. So we said, you know what, let's start a show.
1: You know the be the cool thing is if in, in your guys' house as kids, you were dressed like Rex with, like, that sort of uh, – you know, the, the sleeveless vest and then, like, the undershirt, and your brother had, like, the Marv Levy uh, sweater on?
2: <laughs>
5: oh, man, my brother was the biggest Rex basher ever. And in the moment that the Bill signed him, you know, it's a pretty good hire, actually. So, of course. And, Nobody and, likes you know, Rex for-
1: until he's a part of their team.
5: Yeah. And then you have a roller coaster of feelings when he is with your team. You love when you, you win and you back up all that trash talk. But then when you lose and you, you have all the scandals and all that kind of stuff, you're like, oh, my God, circus. Can we get away from the circus?
1: So so you're the first Jets fan I've ever brought on the show. So you hold that distinction. I don't know what that's worth to you. But uh, we'll go ahead. And uh, this is sort of our pre-draft AFC East roundup, if you will. I couldn't get a Bills fan. I didn't realize that your brother was the guy uh, we can probably bring him on next week, but I just want to go ahead and uh, just uh, kind of scope out the rest of the division. Since obviously if we're on this show, we spend all of our time talking about the dolphins and signing Daniel Thomas, which apparently his nickname is vagina feet. I did not realize that. I know it now. Uh, that's horrifying. Uh, wow. so if it's all about creativity, Kyle. Uh, so if we're talking about the Jets and their quarterback issues right now, where where do they stand? Because we've, we've heard about the whole Fitzpatrick thing. Uh, and, you know, you got Brandon Marshall out there pining for him and whatnot. Where do the Jets stand when it comes to their quarterbacks?
5: You know, it's all Fitzpatrick. It really is. And it's only a matter of time before he comes back to the Jets. And he's going to have to accept their low ball offer. Maybe he'll give it a little bit extra, maybe a couple more million but this reported $16 million a season that he wants, he won't even get close to that. He'd be very lucky to get double digits in terms of average you know, value per year. not going to even get close to it. Because the reality is, is that no one else wants him for that price. No one else is willing to give him what the Jets are offering. You know. So you know, all this, the Jets are interested in Kaepernick, the Jets are interested in RG3, all of that was just, a ploy to get RG3 back down to reality, so, uh, not not RG3, Fitzpatrick. You know, they were scaring him, or at least trying to. He's a smart guy, went to Harvard. He's not going to fall for that. But at the end of the day, if, let's say Denver does make a move and trades for McCown, or maybe they do make a move and trade for Kaepernick. At what point then, who is Ryan Fitzpatrick's other suitor? Because no one else is interested other than those two. And right now the Jets' offer is much more – You know better than what Denver's offer is for Fitzpatrick. So eventually he's going to come back to the Jets. Will be before the draft, slightly before the draft, after the draft. I don't really know. However, I do think that he'll be the starter for this upcoming season. But as a Jets fan, we really saw what you can get out of Ryan Fitzpatrick in Week 16 or Week 17, for that matter. Goes up to Buffalo, where he used to call home. Tosses three interceptions in the fourth quarter. And you lose the season right there. Now, that's not all his fault. Didn't get uh, great pass protection in that game. Did not have his safety blanket in Bilal Powell. But Fitz is going to Fitz. And Leotis McKelvin, who played many years (laughs) with Fitzpatrick up in Buffalo, he said Fitzpatrick takes shots. And Leotis baited Fitzpatrick to throw that red zone interception late in the game. And that was a game changer. Because if the Jets score on that drive, you're talking the Jets take the lead if it's a touchdown where they get within, you know, four points or whatever it was if they kick the field goal there, totally changes the game around. But when he tossed that interception, it completely was a game changer. So I think he is the guy for 2016. However, if you're the Jets, you got to know he's not the long-term solution. So who is then? I really like Jared Goff. Now, there are reports out there that maybe he'll slide. Benjamin Albright has definitely been not on the Jared Goff train. doesn't like him, you know. Nine-inch hands, too small for me. Listen, I like the kid. Is he ready? Is he going to you know, be a week one starter and kind of you know, tear it up out of the gate? I don't think so. However, I think it would be a good situation if you can draft him and sit him under Fitzpatrick. Now, is Jared Goff going to fall to pick 20? You know, maybe if the 49ers pass up on him, it's kind of also hard to see the Rams passing up on him or maybe some other team tries to trade up. I don't know. My whole thing is this. The Jets are actively pursuing a Mohamed Wilkerson trade right now. They're not just listening to offers. They're actively shopping him, much like they did a couple years ago with Darrell Rebus. The Jets always get themselves in these situations where they're trading away their best players. But the reality is they don't want to sign him to a long-term deal for what he wants. So you got this piece in Mohamed Wilkerson. Now, is he going to get you a first-rounder? No, he's not. But could he get you maybe a high second-rounder, a mid-second-rounder? And could you use him as a trading piece to maybe move up into the draft? And if Goff falls to pick 11, pick 12, something like that, and trade up to get him, I would certainly like that. There it is.
4: There it is. That's exactly – that's what I've been looking at throughout the process. It makes a ton of sense. And you look at both the Bills and the Jets, and the teams that they're going to want to jump, the team that they're going to want to jump is the Rams. Because if either of those teams is sold on Paxton Lynch, or if Jared Goff or Carson Wentz falls, then those teams would be hard-pressed not to give up a serious bounty of picks to get there. And the problem for each of those teams is that they, other teams can leverage them against one another. You know, the Jets, the Jets and Bills front offices aren't exactly willingly giving each other information this offseason. So you have teams who are going to pit them against each other and drive the price up to trade into one of those picks, Let's say, for example, with the Saints, a team who needs players if they get select later, or the Buccaneers are in that same boat. And so the only team I – don't, I don't know that the Raiders will move out of their pick because I think they want to get a defensive back before that late teens phase, but – and the Dolphins clearly won't trade their pick to an AFC East team. So it comes down to those other teams ahead of the Dolphins. To see what the Jets and Bills have to do to get up there and get their quarterback before the Rams. Absolutely. So, is that what? Is and that I, think, the Jets I think Muhammad Wilkerson is a, a very convincing piece. You know, imagine if you're Tampa and you get that call and you say, we can pair Gerald McCoy with Muhammad Wilkerson on that defensive line, now have Brent Grimes in the back end of the defense with Alteron Werner. And that's scary. That's a scary defensive front right there with those two players.
1: So it pretty much comes down to a a staring match between the Jets and Fitzpatrick that is interesting, Uh, especially because you're banking on the fact that Denver doesn't get incredibly desperate. I don't know how they could get more desperate considering the situation they're in with their quarterback, but uh, things that will surprise you. Uh, So, Kyle, with that pick that the Jets hold in the first round, Right now, who do you think uh, their primary target is with that selection?
5: You know, it's hard to really say. Um, the Jets have been trying to solve the edge rush for a long time now. You know, you think back to, when was the last time the Jets had a dominant edge rusher? And you'd have to think all the way back to John Abraham. John Abraham. Right, you are talking well over 10 years ago since he suited up in the Jets uniform. So, they went out and they tried to get Olivier Vernon, you, uh, you know, a guy who you guys are very familiar with. And apparently they were in the Olivier Vernon state up until it got to around $15 million per year. Now, I don't know your guys' personal stance on him. A lot of the educated Dolphins fans that I know of know that he's not even close to being worth that. So I'm glad that the Jets eventually tapped out. But, you know, pursuing a player like that and being willing to pay him that much money just shows you how desperate they are for an edge rusher so noah spence for example you know after having a left and stellar combine could he slip down to 20 you know he was a guy that around senior bowl time you know he was the talk of the town people were talking oh you know he's cleaned up his life he could definitely go top 10 but then when he ran that four eight didn't have a great vertical all that kind of stuff people are talking about him sliding now so Maybe they'll go and pursue him at pick twenty. They definitely need an edge rusher. It's just something that they've really been lacking. I'm hearing a lot of mock drafts saying Leonard Floyd. The little that I've watched, the Floyd haven't been impressed at all. So personally, I'd like them to stay away. Maybe a Darren Lee. I, I do like him a lot. Think he can do a lot of things for you. Maybe he'll play a Deion Buchanan type of role, who Todd Bowles had back when he was the Arizona defensive coordinator, and. I think the Jets are definitely trying to upgrade the tackle position, too. When you think about it, the Brickishaw Ferguson, he's got a $14 million cap hit right now. If they were to outright cut him, they would save $10 million in cap space. Let me tell you what. The Brickishaw Ferguson, multiple Pro balls throughout his career, former fourth, fourth overall pick, the guy has had a great career. But the reality is, you know, he's not even a good pass blocker at this stage in his career. He's never really been a good run blocker. He's an atrocious run blocker at this stage and an average at best pass blocker. So if a Taylor Decker slides or a Jack Conklin slides, I think you like him, Keith, Jack Conklin, that is.
1: Oh, yeah. Do you
5: draft him and then maybe cut to shawl get you an extra $10 million in cast space, and then maybe you can do other things with that? I don't know. Bruno Giacombini, horrible right tackle. You cut him, you'll save 4 or $5 million. So I definitely think they would like to upgrade the tackle position too. So if they get a guy who slides the pick 20, whether it's Conklin, Decker. We know it's not going to be Stanley or Tunzel, Maybe we'll pull the trigger there as well.
1: Giacomini's eyebrows frighten me.
5: There's a lot of things that frighten you about Giacomini. He's one of those players that he's like a wannabe tough guy. Like, he's one of those guys that he'll push a guy in the back after the play is over, and then the guy will turn around and start fighting him, and then he'll get his butt kicked. You know, he's, like, he's known for getting so many personal fouls, same thing with his buddy, his tag team partner, Willie Colon, who was another offensive lineman for the Jets, who got a personal foul penalty in the Giants game, which Willie Colon didn't even suit up for.
1: <laughs> uh, getting back to one of your previous statements, I don't know a Dolphins fan who, who thinks Olivier Vernon was worth anywhere close to what he got, that $17 million a year he got from the Giants. The only people I've seen uh, support that signing Are Giants fans and Adam Shine with CBS Sports? He what did he say? An incredible day for the Giants, an incredibly expensive day on two players, Olivier Vernon and Janoris Jenkins. They absolutely emptied it out for those guys. If it had been the Dolphins doing that, you would have just Twitter would have gone nuts just talking about how much the Dolphins suck. So I'm kind I'm kind of amused by that. So I think we actually just I just saw somebody call in and then they just dropped. I think that might have been Lewis. Lewis, if you're there, call back in. Uh I yeah, I'm a big Conklin guy. I actually think that a lot of Conklin's measurables remind me a lot of DeBrickashaw Ferguson actually. So it's kind of interesting that we're we're having this comparison right now. Although I love Conklin as a as a run blocker, I think he's a better pass blocker than people realize. I think a lot of people were hammering him for the supposed lack of athleticism. But I thought he showed to the combine. I thought he looked. He was one of the most athletic t- tackles there, outside of uh, Jason Spriggs. So I thought he looked really good in that regard. Um, it, it. I've had a lot of people call it a luxury pick. It's not a luxury pick when your offensive line is as bad as Miami's. It's just it's garbage. It's it is an absolute tire filled dumpster fire. It's bad. So if you're if you're drafting your left tackle of the future for your quarterback that you have now, that's not a bad call. But I mean, as Max was talking about before you, before you jumped on, there are guys out there who also serve and would fill serious needs on the defensive side of the football. And I mean, Reggie Raglan would be one of them. Uh, any cornerback. Raglin
4: fever, for, 2016 it's happening.
1: Yeah. Raglan hashtag, the hashtag, hashtag Ra- Raglan fever. So um, we actually, we just copyrighted that. We're going to start making money off of it now. Uh, any cornerback with a pulse probably constitutes his fair game uh, regarding Dolphins' interest. So um, there's a lot of guys out there, and it would be hard to look at a corner and look at Jack Conklin and say, like, yeah, we need Conklin more than the corner because, frankly, you need them both. So, I mean, that's that's where it's going to get tricky Well, the well, wait. Well, there's
4: wait, there's another angle to that, which is, how bad is the defense going to be even with a corner and how much better can the offense be? You know, if we're talking about the difference, this defense is going to be abysmal next season. I mean, the dolphins are going to be allowing 28 to 40 points a game. And I personally think they're going to rival the new Orleans saints defense from last season in terms of just how mediocre they are, but how much difference could a player on offense make? That's my argument for a player like Ezekiel Elliott, if he falls, which he won't, but, or, a player like Conklin, who, you know, let's let's be honest, while Jawan James has been derailed by injuries, he hasn't been that good when he's been at right tackle. He's been okay.
1: I think he so can be why good, not
4: though. try? He can be good, but why not try to move? Maybe he could play well at guard. And maybe you can keep Conklin out there at right tackle for a couple years, let him get comfortable, let him do the Nate Solder routine, and then move him over.
1: I think the logic here is that, you don't necessarily want to chase any sort of position. You're looking at it as long as it's a horizontal board and you have your needs in mind. Uh, I thought that Duke put it pretty well that if you're drafting Jack Conklin, you're drafting him because Brandon Albert's not going to play too much longer. And frankly, once Albert's out of there, what are you doing at left tackle? Jermon Bushrod? I like Jermon Bushrod. Great player, but not really a cornerstone guy at this point that you're going to put over on the left side of the line and be like, well, that's done for the next five to 10 years. So I think that the logic I would put in place for a guy like Conklin, uh, it's tougher to do with Ezekiel Elliott just because the first round back thing is is tough to argue unless you're looking at a guy like a Todd Gurley. Although I will say that I think Ezekiel Elliott is one, one of the six best, the best players in this draft. So overall, uh, so if you're looking at Jack Conklin, and I, yeah, I do like him a lot. But if you think that he's going to be your left tackle of the future and you feel that at that number 13 pick, that pound for pound, he is the best player available at the positions you're looking at, then I'd say, yeah, you can make a case for that because now you're drafting your guy for the next 10 years. And one thing I want to point out is Mike Tannenbaum's gotten beaten up a lot for a lot of, and we'll get into Mike Tannenbaum actually in a second here because I'm sure Kyle probably has a thing or two to say about him. For a lot of the bad picks that Mike Tannenbaum made for the Jets, uh, the two he made in 2006 still play for that team. And that's Ferguson and Nick Mangold. So, And, and Ferguson, oh. I mean, it has declined a little bit, but the Berkshire ferguson was an outstanding left tackle in a draft where guys like Vince Young and Reggie Bush went ahead of him and Mario Williams. So um, there there's uh, arguments to be made, and that's why I don't come out and say, like, it has to be Jack Conklin, because I think that uh, Max is right. that The defense is going to be bad regardless. And I mean, you're going to go ahead and you're going to put guys in there and you're building for the future now. You're not looking for that immediate injection where you put that guy in and say like, OK, now the secondary is taken care of. Everything is much better. It's not going to be that simple, unfortunately. Uh, Kyle, Mike Tannenbaum uh, takes a beating from a lot of Dolphins fans uh, for a few reasons. What is your overall opinion of Mike Tannenbaum since he was at one point the GM for your team?
5: You know, I think when I first started following the NFL and football really closely, I think I was a huge fan. Because when you're a a new fan to the game and you don't understand all the nuances, you wonder, why aren't teams making trades more? Why aren't they signing these big free agents? You want to be one of those teams that's very active. And one thing about Mike Tannenbaum, when he was with the Jets, he was very active. Not afraid to trade up in the Jets. Did it several times. Did it to, to select a future Hall of Famer, Darrell Rivas. Did it to select draft bust Mark Sanchez. Moved up from pick 17-5. to five. Which, by the way, he got a steal of a trade for that. When you're talking moving up pick 17-5, to five, he really didn't give up all that much. Um, and not a very good draft I
1: either. I mean, that's no, the thing. The Mar- I, I think you... You and I have talked about this before, that uh, the thing he's guilty of most in that draft is he swung for the fences in a draft where the, a lot of players just weren't very good. And you had guys like Clay Matthews going 26th overall.
5: Yeah. I mean, not only that, too, but it's just like you're talking about drafts that had three picks. You're talking about drafts that had four picks, five selections, year after year after year, and wasn't even hitting on those. You know, trading up to draft Stephen Hill when, you know, oh, Russell boy. Wilson's on the board. Uh, yeah. And Alshon Jeffrey went a couple picks later. Um, you're talking about – but then again, he's got a couple really big hits. He also did draft Mohamed Wilkerson at pick 30. And let's go back to that Darrell Reeves trade, too. I mean, think about it. It's not like Revis fell into his hand, right? And, I was, by the way, Aaron Ross was also there, and there was a debate going back and forth. Well, maybe some people think Aaron Ross is better. Well, Mike Tannenbaum saw enough for Revis to say, listen, this kid is so good, let's trade up together. So he's got his fair share of hits. However, and a lot, of his, well, a lot of his misses, too,
4: are kind of excusable in a sense. I mean, I still don't think he's a good evaluator of talent. But you look at a lot of the misses that he made, and it were, they were mistakes that any team in the league would have made. It's just the difference is that Mike Tannenbaum, when he was with the Jets, was willing to give up more than any other team to take those risks. He's a risk taker, and he was willing to do that and to go up and get players like Stephen Hill and say, like, you know, there wasn't a team in the league that wasn't interested in Stephen Hill. You know, you're six five and you run a four four, that's interesting. Four but three six. Mike Tannenbaum. Four three six. Right. Four three six. Right. I, I, I sometimes round up during conversation, but he. <laughs> it's so. It, it makes so much sense when you're looking at it at the time. And then later, if the talent doesn't pan out, you're just gambling when you move up and get players like that. And I mean, for a while there, it looked like it was really working. And his approach with the Jets kind of clashed with, with Woody Johnson. And, you know, Woody Johnson had a stronger football opinion than Steven Ross does. Steven Ross has a business opinion that relates to the dolphins and how how they excite the fans. Woody Johnson actually had a football opinion and Stephen Ross doesn't sit there and have an opinion, you know, on the X's nose of it. So it's, it's an, it's going to be an interesting change for him in that dynamic to be able to make some of those big free agent signings or to, to run the ship with a little bit less
5: input in terms of the
4: X's nose from the owner. Yeah.
5: Um, You know, some other things about Revis and Tannenbaum is, in retrospect, Mike Tannenbaum gets a lot of flack from this from Jets fans. Is Revis went through several holdouts in his career with the Jets. And the whole hard knock season 2010, when Revis held out, this is kind of an organizational problem. Is Revis had three years left on his rookie deal. Three years. Now, all the good teams, they're not going to even begin negotiations until someone's got one year left on their deal. That's just what they do. However, The Jets brass said, you know what, we want to lock you up long-term. So Revis' reps took that as, okay, that sounds great. And then he took that as a piece to hold out. And they knew that the Jets were so desperate. And then they made this Band-Aid type of contract. And when they did that, they took out the Jets' ability to franchise tag Revis. And that's a big reason why he was ultimately traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because the way the Jets were looking at it is, we can't franchise the guy at the end of the year he just tour his ACL. We're not sure he's the same player. It's not like we can do a, a one-year tester type of deal. So when they didn't have the, the rights to franchise him, it kind of led to his ultimate trade. So you know, and take it for what it's worth. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe Mike Cannonbaum wasn't good in those negotiations. I mean, I know at one point he offered him like a 10-year deal worth about 12 million dollars per year, but only like 40 million guaranteed in Revis's refs like. Laughed in his face. But uh, yeah, I mean, so he's got his fair share of really good hits. Um, But he's got his fair share of misses, but just definitely a very risky GM. And we definitely saw that with his trades, too, trading for Braylon Edwards, trading for Antonio Cromartie, trading for San Antonio Holmes, you know. But we're giving up early draft picks to go and get those guys. Braylon Edwards was like a third round pick. Cromartie ended up being a second round pick. San Antonio Holmes, former Super Bowl MVP, fifth round pick, maybe not so bad. But, however, like, this is what I said the last time we spoke, Keith, is when you do that, you're giving up your draft capital. You're giving away your ability to do what the Seahawks did and find guys like Richard Sherman in the fifth round, right, to, to find guys like Cam Chancellor in the fourth or fifth round, whatever he went, when you give up all those draft picks. So, I mean, Mike Tannenbaum, I think a lot of Dolphins fans are probably also look at it like, well, when he was with the Jets, we used to beat the Jets up, right? We, were, we went into their house week 17 and kicked their butts and stopped them from going to the playoffs, and we clinched the playoff for, why are we going you know, to hire the guy that we beat up on? And let's not forget this, too. The Dolphins had a winning record against Rex Ryan when Rex Ryan was the head coach of the Jets. So I think Dolphins fans probably also look at it like that. Like, you know, We used to beat this guy. You know, he was a failed GM in New York. Why do we want him here?
1: The uh, Revis trade well, you know, is interesting. Well, I was going to mention that in 2007. I think you guys traded up. I'm going off memory. You traded with Carolina to jump ahead of Pittsburgh, right? To get that guy. Ah, uh,
5: shoot. I, I wish I knew exactly who we jumped, but um, I'm, we moved I'm going like off memory. 20. You might know better than me, but it was like around. We were right around like pick 22 or something, and we moved. And up it was to, to pick 14,
1: 14, right? Yeah, yeah that's and right. And then Carolina traded down. I want to say they took John Beason. I'm just, I'm totally going off memory here. And that was, that was a bad draft too. He had some really good players. You know, he had Patrick Willis, uh, Marshawn Lynch ended up being a really good player, even though um, I can only imagine what Buffalo fans felt like watching that guy play because I always thought his effort was just kind of iffy when he was in Buffalo. Then he goes to Seattle and he's some sort of world beater. So I always thought that was. Yeah.
4: I would. I wouldn't, I wouldn't try hard to stay in Buffalo either.
1: <laughs> i see what you did there uh we well, got a Mar- bunch
5: ten- Mar- Mar- he used to bash buffalo when he was there he used to say like there's nothing to do in buffalo and he's not the only one i think McGee he was very critical about his time in buffalo another first round running back for the buffalo Bills. don't Bill seem to draft a lot of running backs in the first round cj spiller quite a few
1: jim kelly said not so nice things about buffalo when he ran off to the USFO. I always thought that was kind Jim of awkward. Kelly, then. Jim
4: Kelly didn't didn't say bad things about Buffalo. Jim Kelly actively refused to play for Buffalo and just didn't do it.
1: Well, they I asked mean, him, he, like, they interviewed him about ultimate. it. They when he was in he when he played with ultimate. the Houston Gamblers, and they're like, why, "What made you the? Why did you make this decision?" He's like, "Well, wh- where would you rather be, Houston or Buffalo?" And I'm like, "Well, that won't come back to haunt you at all." And then you know, two years later, he's in Buffalo with those when they had the the special colored face masks, we have about, uh, we got about 10 minutes before our next caller. So uh, what I want to do now is we have this thing. I'm trying to come up with a name for it. It's just kind of like a lightning round where I'm just going to throw questions at you, Kyle, and you can just give me short answers. It's just kind of like, you know, a a rapid fire thing. So uh, uh, will Geno Smith ever quarterback the New York Jets?
5: It's a possibility. Don't rule worst it
1: G- out. Worst GM, Mike Tannenbaum or John Idzik? Idzik. He's a cap guy. I love, that was probably my favorite thing about John Idzik, that you literally could not say his name without pointing out that he's a cap guy. <laughs> Finish this sentence. The Jets will reach the playoffs in 2016 if...
5: If they are... Very injury free. They have a very healthy
1: season. If you had to write an epitaph for the Rex Ryan era in New York, what would it say?
5: Uh, the highs and lows of Rex Ryan, the roller coaster ride. I don't
1: know. <laughs> yeah, somebody give me a goddamn snack. So uh, you
5: know that that's even better.
1: <laughs> oh boy, the one free agent you wanted to sign but didn't
5: of all time, or this year, or what?
1: Uh, We'll go this year.
5: This year. Who did I really want? Shoot. Um, You know, I kind of wanted Prince of Mukamar. For $5 million, I would have taken him. We could use another corner if he was healthy, but... Uh,
1: The one free agent you're glad New York didn't sign.
5: Olivier Vernon. Easy.
1: Oh, yeah, I, I actually I figured that was going to be your answer. Who posts more reps on the bench, Nick Mangold or Holly Mangold?
5: Oh, it's definitely got to be Holly Mangold for
1: sure. She is jacked. Uh, are you worried about year two with Brandon Marshall? It's been a very poor trend with his previous teams.
5: I think that. Jets fans are delusional if they think he's going to replicate that production. I mean, I think a lot of them are saying, "Oh, listen, well, Fitch didn't even have a full training camp to work with him. You know, Fitch was still recovering from a leg injury when he got there, and he couldn't even complete a five-yard out." And Brandon Marshall even said it himself. Well, yeah. So a lot of these Jets fans are thinking easily they're going to, you know, build on their success and they're going to have more of a rapport with one another. So Brandon Marshall just turned 32 years old, right? He had a great season, but he was relatively injury-free. And you look at his last season in Chicago, he was really banged up. And he was banged up at certain points throughout this season. One little nagging injury throughout the entire season, and it could be bad news. And I'm not really worried about, you know, Brandon Marshall and his character concerns. You know, is he going to beat up his wife or, God forbid, something else. (laughs) But um, I just think that, you know, eventually, you know, age is going to really show in.
1: Yeah. Well, then, right around that time is when he starts slipping on McDonald's bags. Or I remember there's a bunch of stuff he got into right before he was traded to Chicago. Uh, what's the defining characteristic of the Todd Bowles regime thus far?
5: Much more quiet. You don't know what's going on. You know, less stuff gets leaked to the media. You know, one thing that the Jets have all these guys in their building, Jermaine Gresham, Kelvin Beecham, all these guys – But you weren't finding out until after they left. They had already left the building and concluded their visit. Under the previous regime, you would hear, oh, this guy is going to visit the Jets. Like, there was no secrets. The Jets were the big circus. Everything now is much more quiet. You know, they're not speaking to the media. So it's really different, for sure. Um, I have have a feeling
1: that circus circus is now down in Miami. I, I have a feeling.
5: No,
4: Mike Tannenbaum learned. Mike Tannenbaum learned from that, and that's one of the reasons that one of their biggest priorities was kind of writing the ship in terms of leaks to the media, and a a lot less, a lot less gets out. You know, I talked to someone who works for the team who said that when they're in the cafeteria at the same time as Mike Tannenbaum, they don't take out their cell phones.
1: Wow, that's how they're
4: trying to keep it down in Miami.
1: Hey, Kyle, better chin. Tom Brady or Kyle Brady?
5: Tom Brady. You know, we hate the guy, but he's a good-looking guy. Finish this sentence.
1: Oh, we hate him plenty. Uh, Finish this sentence. Being a Jets fan is...
5: It's tough, man. No Super Bowl. Forget victories. We haven't had a Super Bowl appearance in well over 45 years. It's tough.
1: Oh, I mean, we're... We're we're kind of in the in the same camp, you know. We haven't won one in uh, forty well, it's forty two years now. So, uh, Kyle, when was the last time you guys beat one? The last time that would have been the eighties, early eighties. Yeah, yeah, eighty four season. So January eighty five, when we when they got absolutely beaten down by the San Francisco Forty Nine ers. Good times. I I was nine year I was nine months old at the time, but I'm told it was terrible. i want to go ahead and uh, we're probably going to have to move on to our next guest, but I want to mention, this is Kyle Smith of AFC East bros. Uh, Kyle, where can people find you online and on Twitter?
5: Twitter is at AFC East bros. No underscores, no nothing like that. And um, you can find our show. It's on iTunes, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And uh, we usually do our show Tuesday evenings and you can call in. If you're an angry Dolphins fan and, you think that I'm too critical of Mike Tan, by all means, call in and, and uh you know share your thoughts and opinions.
1: I don't think you're going to get a lot of heat from Dolphin fans about that. Just just going out on a limb on that one. Um, we're going to go ahead and move on, but uh, I thank you very much for coming on the show, and uh, we'd love to have you back soon. And I thought this was great.
5: Absolutely, I had fun, guys. And if you want my brother on sometime, you know, just let me know.
1: Yeah, uh, we'll uh, I'll email you, and uh, we'll get that taken care of.
5: All right, Keith, and
1: who's this, Max on the other, Max also? Yes, sir. Yes, the Max Himmlerich. All right, guys,
5: it was fun.
1: Take care. Thank, take care, one. Kyle. That was good. I, I like it when, when guys uh, come on the show, and if they're not a fan of the Dolphins, but they're always willing to speak candidly about their team. And as I say that, we'll just jump into our next guest, uh, Alex Shane. He's with uh, Pat Bullet. He is a, a writer over at that site. Alex, what's going on? How's it going, guys? Uh, good. Uh, I just mentioned to Kyle that he was the first Jets fan I've brought on the show. You are the first Pats fan, and I feel like this is probably a little bit of a bigger deal just because <laughs> the, you know, for obvious reasons that uh, now that Rex is kind of out of New York, there isn't that sort of I – I mean, there's still a dislike, but I don't think there's a flaming vitriol going on right now between the fan bases as there was when when rex was there it's died down maybe just a just a hair but the patriots dolphins thing uh burns as uh, bright as ever i think
0: yeah i agree with that i mean it's, it's it's always hard it's gonna sound so smug but you know when the patriots are kind of top all the time it you use the word rivalry very loosely uh around new england because you know it, it's you get spoiled so quick being a Pats fan that you don't this up as you used to back in the early '90s when the teams were all six and ten in a good year, and you were just trying to go for draft picks. But it's still it's still a good rivalry, and I like what the Dolphins are doing. I, I like the the trajectory they're on, so I'm really hoping that rivalry kind of comes back a lot stronger going forward.
1: Ooh, you're already saying nice things. You know how to do this. This is good. Uh, I was <laughs> bring up. Uh, well, you are the, a the pro. other thing
4: we should we really we really should say about it too, is that the Dolphins always play up to the Patriots well. I mean, you know, they show up in those games more so in Miami. You know, the yeah. last few years, it's never a sure thing for New England when they come in there. And you would think, you know, the Dolphins are hardly a competitive team in that regard, you know, playing up to someone of the Patriots level. But the, they always manage to put up a fight in Dolphin Stadium. You know, no, that's true. last year was the second, I think they're three and four in the last, uh, they're three and one in the last four years in the Sunlight Stadium against the
0: Patriots. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's always good to get the AFC's rivalry, and you do. You get up for divisional opponents is just the reality of it, and they mean more whether you want to admit it or not because it's important, and you see the teams twice a year. But and, and, oh, we admit it. And, you yeah. know, it's
4: tough. It's a, it's a hostile environment down at the stadium because there's so many people who are native to Massachusetts who spend their winters in Florida, which happens to coincide with football season. So, sure. I mean, so you end up with a situation where it's, you know, I went this year, I was there for Dolphins Patriots week 17, you know, um, probably 60% Patriots fans, 70% Patriots fans. It's a pretty, it's mm. pretty abysmal for South Florida sports fans. And so it's, it's like a hostile environment. You get a little territorial. You say like, you know, this is, this is our stadium and here you guys are rolling in full force. And so it, it makes for an interesting – I think it gets the players pumped up, and I think, it's, I think it makes for an interesting environment.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's never also – it's never hard to get a New Englander to go down to Miami for the weekend in December or January. It's well, never well, a, a, a tough,
4: tough sell. They, the crazy thing is that they live there. Like, huh. because they all – a lot of them move there to retire, or a lot of them are just – just live there in the winter because of the weather. And it happens to coincide with football season. And so it makes for an interesting situation because, like, you're interacting with them so often. I mean, like, you see a lot of dolphins here when you're walking around, but there's plenty of Patriots, you know, license plates and flags on the cars during the season. And South Florida fans are pretty fair weather. So there are a lot of, like, people who are native to South Florida who have also adopted the Patriots because they've been the dominant team in the last 15 years.
1: Yeah, sure. You're going to get that anywhere you go. There are a lot Uh, of friendly Patriots fans tweeting us right now. I am blown away. It's weird. it's
0: funny. I I feel like Patriots fans, they they get a bad rap as these kind of arrogant, snooty, over-entitled, obnoxious jerks. And to a degree, (laughs) we've earned that moniker and will proudly wear it. But, you know, I feel like there are a lot of Patriots fans that just want to talk football. They want to speak to their fans, interact with their fans, enjoy the discussions and discourse and debate that goes on. And whenever there's a forum where we're allowed to do that, without immediately being called cheaters and cheatriots and bella cheat, we actually come out and have a lot of good things to say. So I'm really <laughs> grateful for the chance to come on and talk yeah, that's, actual I've football. Actually,
4: yeah, I've, like, I've interacted with a lot of nice Patriots fans, and a lot of you guys are assholes. So yeah, of course. So it's like a fairly good balance. I mean, but that's any fan base. You know, any fan base, I say this, other than like the Packers, because I don't think there's a mean person in Wisconsin. <laughs> I think that's not true. That's not true at all. A, when you're a good team – your fans are more into it. You know, if you're a Dolphins fan, like, what are you going to fight for? What are you going to yell at someone about? Like, there's nothing to yell about. We're not a good football team. If you're a Patriots fan and the league is out to get you because, you know, everyone brings their A game against the Patriots because they want to beat the Patriots. You know, it's like playing Duke in basketball or it's like playing the Warriors. You know what I mean? It's everyone wants to beat them more than they want to beat any other team. So, you're, you're always on the defensive as a Patriots fan, you know, trying to fight between things like Spygate, Deflategate, the reputation that Bill Belichick has developed, or, you know, the easy ways that there are to make fun of Tom Brady, even though no one should make fun of Tom Brady because he lives a life that anyone would want to live. Sure. But it's, it's always an interesting dynamic with those fans who have that fight because their teams are good. I mean, you know... I think that's the same thing is why I don't think people hate Cowboys fans as much now as they did when the Cowboys were winning Super Bowls. It's the same thing. You know, that dominant team is always the team that you're kind of, that you're on the defensive against.
0: Yeah, of course. And obviously, a big part of being a sports fan is is hating another team. Like, we love to hate other teams. It's really, really fun. Like, that that dynamic is enjoyable, and and we we support our team where we root for. And we root against whoever the other team is and we love it and we can't get enough of it. And I don't see why we should, you know, talk about it in a way that not not call a spade a spade here. You know, the Patriots are good. They win a lot. They're not a very likable team for a lot of reasons. And when they lose and bad things happen to them, I get very happy. And that's totally fine. As long as we can call a spade a spade and be honest about it, I'm all for it.
1: Uh, If you're talking about the football part, uh, the Patriots have gotten some pretty high marks in free agency This spring, How do you feel about that? How do you think it's going? I think it's going really well. I mean, it's very,
0: it's kind of the same song and dance around Patriots Nation every March for agency opens and the Dolphins go really big really early and the Patriots kind of do nothing for the first couple of days. Let the market settle a bit, see what the price ranges are for various positions, positional groups, positional players. And then once the dust has settled, the initial frenzy has died down. They start addressing the needs that that they have to go after. Uh, I did not see the Martellus Bennett signing coming out, the trade coming out at all. Uh, I loved that move and make their their offense extremely dynamic. I thought that the Chris Long signing was very good. Just picked up Terrence Knighton today, adding up some beefle on the defensive line after they shipped Chandler Jones off to Arizona for for Cooper in that second round pick. So while none of the the splashes they made have been huge, no quote unquote sexy signings, they're filling needs with, with quality talent. They're acquiring depth. They're not done yet. There's still some holes. I'd like to see them fill through the draft and more free agency, maybe some more trades. But so far, I really can't be upset with how they've done.
1: What were your thoughts when the Chandler Jones uh, news came out about the the trade for Cooper and the two? You know,
0: I was happy about the Chandler Jones trade. You know, he was a free agent after this year. This is probably his last year, especially based on the value the D tackles were getting in this year's free agency class. There's just no way he was going to get the kind of money from New England he would have gotten anywhere else. So he basically would have walked for free last year, and they're able to get a second-round pick for him and a former college stud who's a – I wouldn't call him a first-round bust yet. A lot of injury problems, kind of lost his job on the depth, uh, on the depth chart. But, you know, a, a project and some, some rotational offensive linemen, to say the least, they got some value for him. Chandler Jones was a good player. He wasn't a beast. He wasn't an absolute stud. He's the kind of guy that faded down the stretch, would always start off very strong and then get injured later in the season when he was needed the most. He wouldn't really show up. So I think it was a vintage Belichick move. You move a guy while he still has value, and you replace him with either one or two players elsewhere that can get the job done
1: in a different capacity. I thought Cooper was a, a really good guard when he came out of North Carolina in that draft where you had Cooper and Chance Warmack as these sort of like uh, big-time guard prospects. And, yeah, it, it just didn't really work out for Cooper. So I'd say that it worked. It, right now it could work out for both sides because I think that as Arizona retools their offensive line, they've got like DJ Humphries at some point uh, becomes a, a primary tackle for them. They've got Jared Belder in there. They've really built up their interior. So I thought that was a pretty fair deal. And I thought that um, kind of uh, on top of uh, the whole Cooper thing is he had a lot of people last year talking about the issues uh, New England had with keeping their skill position guys healthy. Yeah. But a big a big deal was the health of the offensive line. And that really started with losing Nate Solder, who whom I'm actually a big fan of. I love University of Colorado tackles. I talk about that on the show all the time. I don't know why, but I do. <laughs> and uh I thought that when when he went down and then it just started this sort of uh sort of like domino effect where it's like that offensive line just could not remain healthy. He had Sebastian Bulmer was out for a while and the season you guys had, in spite of the fact, I thought was impressive because that offensive line was pretty much held together with with tape at one point.
0: Yeah, it was. And just not even that, Just not only was the injuries a big problem, but they couldn't find the quite the right position groupings as well. They were swapping guys in and out. They were centers playing guard and guards playing center and left tackles and right tackles switching around. And of all the positions in the NFL, you need the guys to be one cohesive unit. It's the offensive line and they just, we just couldn't get that this past year. There were 30 or 37, I believe, different combinations of, of guys along the, the offensive line, and we were able to compensate for that basically by using Julian Edelman and Dion Lewis to do a lot of quick release screens and in slants and in cuts and not allow defense the time to get back there. But once Lewis went on IR and Edelman got hurt for an extended period of time, that was kind of it. They lost that fast of the offense, and it really started to go through and, and shine that they didn't have the, the personnel back there. But hopefully with Dante Skarniecki back out of retirement, he was a huge boon for the Patriots. Cooper's going to be something. I'm not going to sit here and say he's going to be a, a, a godsend or anything like that, but I think the pieces are in place. Guys are coming back from injury. And with Skarniecki, with Deion Lewis coming back, with the offense getting in full swing, there should be some good things going forward. And usually when the Patriots have a glaring weakness in one season, that immediately becomes a strength the following season. So look for that to happen in
1: 2016. Uh, we're all thinking it, though, uh, Dolphins it. We expect Cooper to go there and just play his brains out. I mean, that, <laughs> we just see that happen time and time again where people go to the Patriots, you know, guys whose their career is pretty much DOA or never really got started in the first place, and then they go there and then something clicks. It's like they buy into that culture, and all of a sudden they're playing really well.
0: No, it's true. I think Belichick is really good at that. He knows there are more regular good players in the NFL than there are superstars and he has a system, and he has a system that works, and rather than go after these premier talents and force them into systems that may be not right for them, he finds the guys that he knows can work in that system and plans accordingly. So I think the reason guys shine under the Patriots is because Belichick knows they get the most out of his talent, and if he makes some head-scratching moves and the guy turns on the, the Jets against the when he comes to the Patriots, it's not because he magically just got good, it's that he, he works the system, Belichick plays to his strengths, and he's very good at that. and I'm very
1: grateful to have him as a coach. I can only imagine. You guys are without – oh, go ahead, man.
4: It's, it's that do-your-job culture. I mean, it's the same reason. I touched upon it in, in the scouting report I just wrote on Reggie Bagler <laughs> that for Alabama football players and New England football players, it's very similar because Belichick is Belichick – you know, taught Nick Saban so much and, and shaped right. who Nick Saban is as a coach so much. You don't see, I was watching because I wanted, to, you know, I like to include gifs of the negatives from a player too. two, and I'm looking. I could count on one hand the instances during that entire season that they dropped Reggie Ragland into like one-on-one man coverage, no help, gave him a tight end. Why doesn't Nick Saban give a player a task like that? Because he knows he can't or isn't going to succeed at it. Same thing Belichick does. You know, you're not going to see these players going out of their comfort zones.
0: Right. And for sure. Um, And and it makes sense because you don't – even if a guy's an otherworldly talent – if he's playing out of position, he's not going to be as good as he would be if he was playing what he wanted to do. And I don't think Belichick has the the ego where he wants to play my way or no way. He He's a very adaptable coach, and I think that's why he's able to take these guys that are not superstars or world beaters and be contenders every year. Now, having Tom Brady really helps. Uh, I think Belichick gets maybe more credit than he deserves, that he basically found the greatest quarterback of all time in the sixth round. And having a guy like Brady, you can compensate for a lot on the offensive side of the ball, which allows you to load up on defense. But still, you got to do credit where credit is due. He's really done a great job with it, and, and people may not like his personality, but I personally love it. He's exactly the kind of guy I want as a coach, and uh, I'm very lucky. And I'm trying to milk every, every last second out of the Brady-Belichick area because the Patriots are going to be bad eventually. It's going to happen, and when that does happen, the world's going to rejoice, and i got to look back
1: on the, the good old days. Oh, don't tease us. Um, <laughs> so, uh, one Duke, is there something you wanted to say?
3: Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I was talking about the Dolphins being, uh, first of all, everyone always talks about the coaches. Like I said, well, the Dolphins are, trying, are built to beat the Patriots. That's true. They've done so three out of the past four years. They're just not built to, to beat the Bills and the Jets, and that's why they struggle against those But those teams. But against the Patriots, uh, the three wins that they have, Ryan Tannehill is 65 for 107, which is a 61% completion percentage, that average has been was lowered a little bit by the 2014 game where he, he only completed 56% of his passes. The other two games he completed over 65%. But he's 65 for 107, 845 yards, seven touchdowns, one interception, a pass rating of 103.5 with a yard per attempt average of 7.89. So needless to say, Tannehill likes playing the Patriots at home, and he's had considerable success against them
1: at home. I, um, I'm not ashamed to admit that, uh, I was definitely pulling for the Patriots, uh, in Super Bowl 36, you know, the, uh, the first one against the Rams and everything. I mean, I remember that and my dad is still a closet Patriots fan, just, I mean, <laughs> just to point that out. I mean, he, he's a bears fan and everything, but I know that he, he looks at Tom Brady as like his, uh, like a long lost child or something. And a, a big reason for that is about halfway through that 2001 season. I remember they were playing, uh, they're playing the saints and we were watching that game and he was like, you know what? This team's going to go to the super bowl. And because he called it and they won it, I think he feels like he was a part of it now. So yeah. So I I have to live with that at home too. I know when we're sitting there watching games and he's back there, he won't say anything, but I know he's pulling for the Patriots and it just, it kind of sickens me, but I also got to tip your hat. You guys have, I mean, it's more than a business model at this point. I mean, you've done a lot, of things right in the past 15 years. So, no, I mean, we can yeah. sit there and, and make comments about it, but I mean, I mean, you guys are there, are there for a reason It's to the point. Uh, like some, one of the questions I'll, I'll get to in a second is, I mean, it's always when you're talking about the, the teams that are going to contend for the AFC, the Patriots are always the first team you think of.
0: Absolutely. Always. And it's It's the consistency. And I think that the, you know, Winning the Super Bowl is a combination of three things. You need talent, you need health, and you need luck. And two of those three things you can't really control, but the one you can control, the Patriots control very, very well, and they always themselves in a position to succeed, to the point where almost we're so spoiled as Patriots fans. Though I think one of the reasons people dislike Patriots fans so intensely is the way that they behave when the Patriots lose in the AFC championship game. They act like it was a abysmally failure of a season. And what a disaster, and Belichick's arrogance caught up to him. And so it's basically the point now where either they win the Super Bowl every year or their season's a total failure. And that's just a crazy dynamic to have. And if you step back and look at it, um, it's kind of ridiculous to have that, that attitude. But that's just the culture he's built, where it's expected they're going to win this Super Bowl every year. They're going to be right in it. They're one of probably three
1: or four teams in the AFC that are going to be right there at the end. And what can do? you do? You don't have a first-round pick this year. So what are you guys looking at in terms of planning for the drafts? Because, I mean, your, your focus is obviously on day two. I mean, are there any prospects that you really like for the Patriots right now? Is there anyone you're particularly interested in? Like what is your what is your mindset and your thought process right now?
0: Yeah, with well, the Patriots, so they'll probably take a, a safety from a D3 school with their second round picks. That's kind of what they do. But if I had my druthers right now, my, my draft strategy kind of shifted as the Patriots have made some moves along the offensive line, tight end position. Uh, I really like Xavier and Howard out of Baylor, uh, the cornerback. I think he's really solid. I think he'll be around around pick 60 or so. The Patriots have, I think, their starting cornerbacks are set with Logan Ryan and Malcolm Butler, but not a lot of depth at cornerback right now. And if these guys go down, I'm not sure who's going to step up for them. So I like Xavier and Howard a lot. Uh, I think he's, he's a good guy. He's a good fit. Um, you know uh, Logan Ryan, Justin Coleman, Dale Roberts, those guys are all fine, but he's got the range. I think he had a four four forty, a six nine one three cone, something like that. He's really kind of a, a fast, quick twitch guy, so I really like as well. Uh, I also like offensive tackle uh, Sean Coleman out of out of um, uh, Auburn. Auburn. Yeah, I think he's a good guy. He's 6'5", 310, 315, and ten, three fifteen. Two year starter at left tackle. Nate Solder is going to be around for a little while but I think he's a nice grooming prospect behind Nate Solder left tackle is an important position so if I had my way I would go uh, Howard and Coleman they're 60 and
1: 61 but of course they'll probably package him and move up and move down and I'm going to be way up with those picks. I love the tackles in this draft I think that it's the Dolphins and their fans or I should say uh, Dolphins fans are probably overlooking this tackle class a little bit just because there's such an insane need on the defensive side of the football but you you've seen like you know like in 2013 it was supposed to be this great class. You had guys like you know Eric Fisher and Luke Jokel uh these guys coming out and it didn't really pan out that way. I think that this is the year where uh that the talent in this draft is worthy of where those guys went in 2013. I like a lot of these yeah, guys. I, you know, go ahead. No,
0: I agree with that. I mean, it's funny. I, I don't think there are this draft is weird in that there aren't really that many of like, Andrew Lux, Adrian Peterson, just, like, star-studded kind of, like, big names. Everyone knows who they are. They know where they're going. But it's a very deep draft. And a lot of the real skill comes at the unsexy picks, the unsexy positions, you know. Everyone likes when they draft a running back or a quarterback or a receiver, but you can get some really good linebackers in this draft. There's good offensive linemen. There are good, maybe, nose tackles in in this draft. Um, And so I think if you are a team with a lot of picks, which the Patriots are, actually, they have a lot of picks, no first-rounder, but they have – if two seconds, two-thirds, a bunch of six, they're in, they're in good shape because you can get a lot of talent in, in the later rounds this year
1: and really flesh out the back end of your roster. There are a lot of talented fat guys in this draft, I yeah. will say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll go ahead and we did like a sort of quick hits thing with uh, the last um, guest that we had. We'll do the same for you. I put a, together a list of questions, just, you know, rapid-fire type stuff. I'll give you a short question. You can give me a short answer if you want to elaborate on it. It's your time. Feel free to do so. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, give me your over-under on Tom Brady playing until he's 45. Until he's 45. I'm going to take the over
0: on that. I think he will play till he's 45. He might not play in New England until he's 45, but I think he just wants to keep playing, and he takes good care of his body. So he'll, finish, he'll pull like a Brett Favre, finish
1: somewhere like San Francisco or Kansas City, something like that. Now here's the thing. When I wrote that question, I looked at it and I was like, "That looks really stupid. Nobody plays till they're 45. That guy might pull it off. He might. He takes crazy good care of his body. He goes to bed at eight every night. He doesn't eat anything besides like
0: organic kale and stuff. And he's got no other hobbies. He doesn't, you know, do anything. Like, what's he going to do after he retires? So I can see that hair.
1: That's about it. Yeah. (laughs) Someone's got to do it. Uh, That that beautiful beautiful hair is not going to take care of itself. So, but yeah. Amen. I couldn't get around uh, thinking that, you know, 45, that's insane. It's like that you're making the guy out to be like George Blander or something. But the thing is, he's probably going to get to that range unless unless he gets hurt early on. Because he's, what, he's 30, he's going to be 39, Nine. he's going to be 40 yeah. next year. And, right. I mean, there's no signs of him slowing down. I mean, he looks looks as good as ever, so... Yeah. And again, he's
0: not the corner quarterback who's very mobile. He never was. So as long as he has a good pocket and he can stand there and throw the short to mid-range passes, you can do that in your 40s if you're really careful. You can.
1: Yeah, the whole thing is just insanity. Uh, would the Pats have beaten Carolina in Super Bowl 50? I think they would have. I think that the Panthers were, were
0: very scared. They played a very sloppy game. I also think, honestly, the Patriots beat the Broncos in at Gillette Stadium. But if you watch that game, the offensive line was such a mess that Brady had to telegraph a snap count. And Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware were in the backfield before the ball was even snapped sometimes because of the noise and whatnot. And so, sad to say, but you know what? You can't make excuses. Credit to the Broncos. I'm actually kind of glad to see Peyton Manning win one. because nice I see him get out of there on, on top. You always want to see that.
1: Yeah. Uh, your favorite Super Bowl victory of the, the four that you've you've notched, do you have a favorite one? It's funny. I actually wrote an article on this when uh, they won their
0: last one and it was really a toss up between this last one and their first one. But nothing will ever top that first season. Um that's when, you know, the M- mo Lewis hit brought Brady in in the wake of nine eleven. No one had the pages going anywhere. The snowball, the tuck rule, that final field goal. Nothing will ever
1: top that win. Drew Bledsoe beaten Steelers. Yeah, so on and so yeah the,
0: the, the narrative is just unreal you can't script it
1: yeah which I, I feel like when people always they overlook the fact that you know that was a really good Steelers team that I mean Drew Bledsoe comes in and and you know puts that game away yeah. so and there's the big, a yeah. big
0: quarterback controversy in between Super Bowl week who's gonna start it was just it was awesome the whole thing was amazing and
1: and the Pats were 14 point
0: underdogs no one gave them a chance and they just it was great
1: yeah uh so, and this is a serious question. Bigger jackass, John Elway or Jim Ursay. <laughs> uh, you know, at least Elway was a great quarterback and a Hall of Famer.
0: Ursay's is just a – he's got nothing going for him. He's got absolutely nothing going for him. He's like that guy at the club who's like 50 and alone in like a low-cut T-shirt scooping on like teenagers. Uh, he's got no business being anybody, and I would be happy to – but I love that he's still around because as long as he's still there, the Colts will continue to make jackass decisions. So, Ursay, keep doing your thing, man.
1: I want to ban him from Twitter.
0: Um, well, I mean, like, not even Twitter. The
4: aspirin comment was just so asinine. Oh, but yeah.
1: um,
4: first thing, I feel like if Ed Hardy was ever going out of business, that Jim Irsay would personally buy the company and fund it forever. <laughs> but the other thing is, how's our old buddy Ben Voling, Ben Volin doing up there?
0: Trolling Volin.
4: Covering you. Yeah, yeah, he is, yeah. I mean, like, he's not as he's not as bad as, the guys that they have down in South Florida, but he's, he's interesting. He he's, he's a guy.
0: I mean, I'll tell you, he, his articles get page views. I'll say that. I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs>
4: that's, that's, that's what gets you hired. Right. this Day and age as evidenced by the people that the South Florida papers retain. Right. But yeah, he's, yeah, he's a, he's a good reporter. He's a good reporter. I guess. Yes.
0: I'm not a fan of his, but I, I actually don't really pay attention to maybe ninety percent of the professional sports media. I get really good content by the fan for the fan stuff. Guys without an agenda doing it because they enjoy it. It's way better than anything you get on ESPN, in my opinion.
1: I wish we could ignore ninety percent uh, of the, the sports media down in South Florida.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you don't? Why no,
1: don't you? I, uh, I I do. I it, heard, it it appears whatever gets retweeted than... on my list.
4: I read you know, if there's valuable news from a report, the only guy who doesn't tweet it out is Barry Jackson. You know, you really have to read Barry Jackson's articles and he's, he's great at what he does. And so I read Barry's cover to cover, but other than that, I mean, like they had a guy, I forget his name at the sun Sentinel who like, who argued for Derek Henry with the eighth overall pick.
1: It's Chris. Perkins. Like Perkins. It's
4: Chris. Oh yeah. Chris Perkins. Oh yeah. He is. He is just absolutely clueless. And James Palmer, James Walker, James Walker, who does ESPN, tweeted out today that Isaiah Peed was a fourth-round pick, as if he didn't remember him getting picked in the second round. And, like, it's, it's absolutely – and then there's Omar, who – I got blocked by today. So I don't have to – I was following him out of obligation to the other fans because I really like tormenting him. But <laughs> it's – he stopped firing back.
1: What did you say to get, uh, to get uh, blocked?
4: Oh, uh, he said that he has wet dreams about Paxton Lynch getting drafted 13th overall by the Dolphins. And I said yeah. that Ryan Tannehill should tell him that he's only going to answer questions in his wet dreams anymore. But it's, I also um, like to make frequent work of the fact that his one source on the team is Nico Grimes and that he doesn't like Adam Gase because he didn't have any scoop throughout the entire coaching search. You know, the Sun Sentinel mm-hmm. published like two articles during that week You know, Adam Beasley did a great job. Um, Andrew Abramson did a great job. Armando Salguero, always pretty good. But, you know, Omar's too busy out at dinner with uh, Brent and Miko. So it's it's an interesting dynamic down there. I mean, can you imagine a player under Bill Belichick having dinner with a beat reporter?
0: No. Never (laughs) do that.
4: Yeah. Right. And, you know, there's a reason that – there's a reason when the Dolphins wanted to tighten up the ship that they made it very clear that they cut Miko and Brent. It's not necessarily just what comes in, not necessarily just what comes in from Miko's mouth to the team, but what comes out of her mouth to reporters.
1: If, you, um, if you're not a fan of Troll and Bullen, who are some of the, the Boston media guys you do? Like, I know that you don't pay attention to a lot of them. I figure you have to, I figure Dan Shaughnessy probably isn't on, isn't on your your wish list here, but are there any guys out there where you're like, yeah, I like him?
0: Yeah, uh, I like Mike Reese a lot for ESPN Boston. Uh, I very okay. rarely read ESPN, but he's really solid. Uh, I love Jerry Thornton at WEEI. He's kind of the uh, – he's like a comedian, but he's got a really good kind of like fan voice, and he, he remembers when they were really terrible when he kind of comes out of it. I love Tommy Curran at, at uh, Comcast Sportsnet. He's really good. Um, <laughs> he's a fun Tom guy.
4: He's, he's yeah. fun, like – he's fun because he kind of takes on that, like, boisterous Patriots fan, like, yeah. attitude when he's, like, writing and dealing with people and, like – it's it's pretty funny to watch him like interact with like other fan bases. It's really funny.
1: He's yeah, he's a good on guy. The
4: personality of his team. Yeah.
1: Better chin, Tom Brady, or the actual Pat's logo? I mean, I'm a
0: huge <laughs> old school Pat Patriot 1968 Phil Bissell logo. I'm not a huge fan of Flying Elvis, so that's Tom Brady all day.
1: Well, that kind of takes care of my next question. I was going to say better logo three point stance or floating head. Yeah, three point stance. That I think the I think the
0: Patriots throwbacks in the red and white with uh, the old school logo was one of the ba- most badass uniforms in the NFL. I may be biased, but I love that look.
1: No, I'll give you that. And the thing is I don't think a lot of people get an opportunity to look at that that logo up close. It is pretty badass. I will give yeah, you that. Awesome. Yeah. That was that was well done. And done at a time where, you know, teams weren't really putting out uh that kind of detail in their, their sports logo. So Props to Phil Bissell. <laughs> do you miss the five layers of visa protection? <laughs> no. Tom, refugier of metaphors. Uh, so, who is New England's biggest competition in the AFC next season? I mentioned that you guys are looked at as the the big contender coming out of the conference. Who do you look at as your biggest competition?
0: In the AFC
1: or the AFC East? Uh, AFC, please. AFC East. Get out <laughs> of here right. with that noise.
0: Uh, in the AFC, I'm probably gonna go with Pittsburgh. Uh, even though Martavius Bryant is now gone for the year, they're getting right. their running back back. They're getting their 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 guys back. They're they're gonna be pretty solid. Although I think Baltimore's making some good moves. They were terrible last year. It depends on Flacco and his, and his injury, um, but probably Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah. Oh no. Look out for Mike Wallace. Uh, <laughs> uh, before we move on, say something nice. Of, I, I actually, you know what? You already said something nice about the Dolphins. You completely caught me off guard with that because when you came in there, uh, I was gonna. I was thinking like, yeah, oh, what kind of conversation are we going to have? And it turned out to be pleasant. So, well, let me you, let me ask uh, you this
0: though. A, a question I have for you as a Dolphins fan is: This sure. is now, I don't know, maybe the fourth year in a row where the Dolphins have adopted a very aggressive franchise strategy, spent a lot of money early, brought some quote-unquote big names in, just on Mario Williams, made some splashes. Are are Dolphins fans happy with this approach, or are they kind of sick of it and wishing they'd maybe do something different?
5: Well, well, that well, wasn't the approach this any year other,
0: though. Well, that, I mean,
4: the thing is, is like it. This was a this was a big year for any other team, but for the dolphins, you know, if, you know, if the contract doesn't have a hundred before the rest of the zeros, it's not a big off season. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's yeah. not, we didn't, we didn't sign a guy to nine figures or whatever that whatever Steven Ross decides to do now.
2: Right. It was
4: actually a pretty quiet off season. And, you know, this is the least hype that I've, I've, Seen from Dolphins fans in a while. I'm sure that'll change when you know they think whichever player we draft is an instant is an instant you know plug and play guy. But it's um it's definitely I almost feel like they're resigned to their fate. You know after this off season, kind of just saying like if like the team's only going to go as far as Ryan Tannehill takes them, and let's wait and see.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, I don't. That's fair. I don't think they're really that big of spenders. I mean Mario Williams at Eight million a year. When you think about uh, people killing us for not re-signing Olivier Vernon, when you got seventeen million a year yeah, from the insane. New York Giants. So, so I think ridiculous. you're, yeah, and uh, because it's been such a, um, such a change from the spending in you know 2013, 14, and 15 to this year, where they're being more prudent with their money. They're they're saying they're they're not going after uh, the positions of need just because there are names out there. I think that's that's kind of taken a lot of fans aback. And I think a lot of people, I think they were angry about it. I think they're coming around now. Uh, but it was it was ugly early on because he had people who thought that the Dolphins weren't making a big enough pitch for guys like Alex Boone, uh, Pac-Man Jones, which I was completely fine with. Yeah. Uh, when when you had guys like Prince Amukamara out there, and then they turn into like, well, what about Patrick Robinson? And it just turned into this thing where people are like, well, you, are you going to go after these guys? And it's clear they're going to build to the draft, and that's going to be painful. You know, that's not that's not something where you just sail through it while you're winning games and it's it's gravy. It's not a big deal. I mean, you're hoping right. the offense plays well. The defense is going to be bad, but you're you're hoping that um, things pick up uh, sooner than later. Uh, I only have a couple of questions left. Uh, if, and this is something I've wondered. This is a shower thought. If Bill Belichick is Emperor Palpatine and Tom Brady is Darth Vader, does that mean that Tom's kid with Bridget Moynihan is Luke Skywalker?
0: I've never seen Star Wars before. So I, I don't know if I can answer you that question kidding. accurately. No, I've, I've never you, seen Star Wars.
1: Well, that blew up in my face. Really? No, I'm sorry. I, oh, my God. Yeah, I know
0: it's weird. Like it's it's like a secret shame. It's like it, I, I I I can keep up on a conversation because it's such a cultural icon and there are snippets and highlights, but I've actually never sat down and watched the movies all the way through, and I've never seen
1: any, I haven't seen any of the new ones or anything. So I, I got nothing. I think I'm having palpitations right now. Understood. <laughs> no, understood. All right. So suppose the Patriots make it to Super Bowl 51. Who do you think uh, who's their opponent? Out of the NFC, I think Arizona
0: actually is the Super Bowl contender right now. They're missing an edge rusher. They got one in Chandler Jones. Uh, they probably should have gone to the Super Bowl this past year, but the Carolina was just, just too, too strong. Um, so
1: I'm going to go with Patriots-Cardinals. So we'll call it the uh, Chandler-Cooper Bowl. Yeah. That will be interesting. All right. Uh, does anyone else have any questions for Alec before we go ahead and uh, fold it up for tonight?
3: i got one quick question. All righty. I, w- I wanted to ask the uh, Jets guy this, but I didn't get a chance to this. Ryan Tannehill is a very polarizing guy for Miami fans, and it's it's about to a point where you either love him or you hate him. How is he viewed outside of of, of Dolphins' fans? And what do the Patriots fans think of him? Do they think he's just a guy, he's decent, or do they think he's a promising guy that's held back by something else? I mean, what is it that when you play against that guy he comes up, what's Patriots fans' thoughts on him?
0: Yeah, I like Tannehill. I think he's got a good skill set. Uh, I think he's one of the, – there are certain players in the NFL that are not great, but like you said earlier, they bring their A game against New England and they really shine against the Patriots. Tannehill's very good at home against New England, but I don't think you're going to us Bowl with him. I don't think he is a guy to take you all the way to a championship. And the problem with the way the league is structured and that the way the, lay, the way the league is changing and evolving, as they care more and more about ratings and making money, than about actually producing a good product. Uh, there are only a small handful of quarterbacks that can win you a championship. And he's not one of those guys. He's better than most of the guys out there. And so you kind of have to ride with him. but you know, I, I'm never scared of, of the, of a Ryan Tannehill offense coming to town. I'll put it that way, but I like him, but I don't think he's going to be, he's not
1: really the guy. All right. Telling it like it is. Uh, this is Alex Shane of SB nation's Pat's pulpit. Uh, Alec, where can people find you online and on Twitter?
0: Yeah, again, patspulpit.com is the website I write for. And you can find me on Twitter at AlecDShane.
1: All right. I appreciate having you on. I don't know if you consider doing this again anytime soon. Anytime. Maybe, some, maybe like the night before the draft, I was thinking about putting a show together. And if you're willing really to I'd love to have you on. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks. All right, great. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Take care. All right, take care, Alec. So we'll go ahead and wrap up this show. It's one thing I want to point out I to have today, and uh, it's not, it's not off. as far from it. Uh, the Finnsider was the official Miami Dolphins. Uh, so sort a of, uh, studio analyst team, if you will, uh, they did their last show today. And uh, I haven't really been able to wrap my head around the fact that, that the organization um, has decided to move on from these guys, but that was a really team. That they had in the Studio of Analysts. I mean, I was listening to when they'd have O. J. McGuffy on, uh, Sam Madison, uh Johnko Jemmy was excellent on that show. Greg Likens uh did a really good job uh filling in or filling in, replacing uh, Jesse Agler, who was also very good on that show and is now with the um Padres organization. So uh I just say it's it's a dark day for good we'll say uh, good team banalism. I thought that was a great product. I loved listening to their show whenever I could. Uh, it's not the fact that it's not there anymore makes me sad. So um, Yeah, I, I mean hope I everyone... thought
4: it was it was never it was never about the analysis because I mean, you know, none
1: of us because
4: they they work they work for the team. So it wasn't, you know, they weren't going diving deep into the X's and O's and if the Dolphins fans want that, the Miami pod that um ian wharton and oscar hazel do is the unbelievable work and they do they an awesome advertising job over there you can yeah you can find them on you can find them on twitter at miami pod yeah they i i have nothing to do with them i've never been on as a guest there but they do an outstanding job <laughs> and you know the real difference on the FinCiders show with that f the original insider is um Actually, we're the official, we
1: are the original Insider. We are the
4: original. Wow, I work for you guys and I didn't even know that. Um, Then, you know, the players were so comfortable there because, you know, they knew, it was was really good personal insight into who the guys on the team are as people. You know, it wasn't like, they weren't saying like, hey, Ryan Tannehill, how did you deal with Miko Grimes calling you out publicly? Because they weren't going to ask questions like that. But they asked questions like, hey, like, what were your thoughts when you got drafted by the Miami Dolphins? Like, what do you like to do in your time off? And you, like, learned something about these players in terms of who they are off the field. And you ask any of them, and they all really felt comfortable interacting with Greg, Greg Likens, who's the host over there. And it's – and I, I think, you know, um, Tom Garfinkel, the team's, um, the team's kind of public relations guru, um, announced today that they're going to be announcing a new – format for fans to get that in-depth look into the team in the coming weeks. It was a radio – it was a naming rights and a radio – it was a legal thing that ended up, I think, leading to the downfall of the Finnsiders. But it's, um, it's definitely going to be missed just in terms of in terms of being able to have Dolphins talk because the national media doesn't cover them enough. Not because I don't think the national media is biased against the Dolphins. I just think they're biased against bad teams that don't get good ratings for them. And then, you know, locally, especially at this time of year, it's all about the heat because they're competitive. And so it's 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 tough to find good Dolphins talk, and it was always great to be able to turn them on and hear, like, what they had to say about the team.
5: Yeah. Well, it, was just it, just was,
3: it was Dolphins talk from the pros. I mean, it wasn't you – know, we have fan sites, and we have, you know, podcasts like this where we talk Dolphins stuff, and I think it's very insightful <clears throat> Uh, you know, listening to these other podcasts and coming on this one and, and stuff, but that's what it was. It was for the fans, but it was by the team. It's what they put out there, and you know, it, it's it's going to leave that a void. They're really not going to be filled until the team does something about it because South Florida media is so bad. And it's going to have to come from it's going to have to come from the fan side. You know, the real insiders, us. And other fan sites and what drives this stuff because that's what people want to hear. They don't want to read garbage from, from the papers because that's pretty much what it is. They wanna hear they wanna hear good analysis, they wanna hear talk, they wanna hear people get on 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 something and say, Hey, the dolphins are gonna be good this year to get them excited, whether they believe it or not. They just wanna hear it. And that's what you got from that show was, you know, you never heard them put down a player or anything else like that. It was always just I'll focus on the positive. Let's look at everything and be fighting, and and unicorns and rainbows and stuff. And you know, yeah.
1: it was fun. It was a good way for for fans to get involved. So I'm gonna miss that part. I'll be interested to see what they they introduce as the replacement program. But they were all good guys. Um, I loved submitting uh, answers to their to their online you know Twitter questions. And then if um, they did answer your questions. Uh, they tweet you back. So I th- always thought that was pretty cool. It was just a, a nice way to kind of stay stay in touch with parts of the team and just being able to interact with them in a different way. So that'll do it for us for tonight. Uh, we're sorry that uh, we weren't able to bring Lewis on for the, the small amount of time that he was available. Uh, I'm going to wrap this up, though. So for my co-hosts, uh, Duke and Max, we want to thank uh, Kyle Smith, who called in. with um, He's with AFC East Bros. And Alex Shane from Past pulpit. Both guys were great. We're excited to have them on again soon. So from everyone here uh, with the FinCider and FinCider Radio, uh, good night. We'll talk to you next week.
0: Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from
4: SB Nation.
1: I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.
0: Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single
1: person.
2: When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come
1: up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape.
0: feed. Anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.